Christian Gospel with Dr. Halissa Elwine. Join us around our Shabbat dining table as we explore the Torah portion. Shabbat Shalom, everybody, and I hope you have had a lovely Shabbat, and I hope you're ready for the siege. In fact, I think we're probably already under siege, if if we were to admit it. And so what we'll do today is just continue on. I thought this would go much faster. I thought we would be able to cover the 10 sieges in a couple of weeks, but as it turns out, nothing is that simple. And if we can find more scriptural foundations for each of these sieges, then why not? Again, I mean, you can't have too much scriptural underpinning, right? So our next plague here is number five, which is pestilence. And again, you can see how the, the pestilence, even though we typically think of it as a disease, and it is, and it's typically a disease on livestock. It's on livestock, it's on animals. So you can see that this will be a direct attack on the animal soul. That is something that we do have in common with an animal is we also have a soul called a nefesh, which is appetite, emotion, desire, and intellect. But our spirit is different from them. They do have the breath of life, but they are not made in the image of Elohim, the way that we are. So we are, in that sense, different. But the animal soul because we were seduced by the most cunning beast of the field, which is the serpent. And we're still being deceived by the most cunning beast of the field, which is the serpent, because he will always appeal to your soul. See, that's what an animal is. It's a soul. Appetite, emotion, desire, and intellect. And he knows that that, that that's part of who you are. And he knows how hard it is for it to be disciplined by the spirit because the spirit, the Holy Spirit operates based on it is written, not I feel I think I want. And so with pestilence, not only is it we're talking about literal disease here, it's it's an attack on the animal soul, the part of it that still needs to be disciplined to the spirit. In the, the wars of kings, what they would do is they would take captives. If they found somebody out wandering around, if they found a vulnerable person, they would take them captive. And what they did is uh, they would just put them in custody and the captive never really knew what was going to happen to it. In some cases, we find out they're let go. They're held temporarily, then they're let go. Sometimes they're treated very badly. Sometimes they're treated well. Sometimes those captives are deported, like they were deported to Babylon. They had some hardship, but then they kind of bounced back. Their custody was temporary and then they, I don't want to say blended right into Babylon. But they were able to endure those 70 years of exile. But when the time came, they, they needed to re, you know, remember who they were and come out of that captivity and come home. Uh, so being captive is not always a horrible thing. It can be. We're going to look at a scripture in Revelation that suggests that it, it might actually be a good thing. If we know who we belong to, then there might be a temporary captivity that we can say, well, this is not pleasant right now, but I know it's temporary and I know it's short. I just have to hold on. So some will be set free after testing. For some, it will not be a test. It will be a plague and it will be uh, slavery or death. 
And you can even, if you want to, seal off an entire city as a prison, but that would shade more over to plague number nine, which is darkness. It's a much stronger imprisonment than just a pestilence being taken captive temporarily. So this disease on a beast, a modern generation example, of course, would be COVID. It might be an epidemic because what does the epidemic do? It seals you up in your house. It separates you from other people. There is a disease element to it. And it is kind of random. You, you know, you don't, it's like this stage, we're not talking about the whole city being a prison, even though we might have had several days of that. It's you, you don't know who the disease is going to hit, right? So how can I tell the difference? If I'm a righteous person and I get a disease, does that mean that I'm wicked? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Since sin entered the world, so did disease. And so if you were to die from a disease as a righteous person, again, that's just the beginning of your life. It's it's not the end. But again, the, that pestilence can hold you in custody. And how does that come about? Well, hopefully it's not coming through organized systems, but it can. Things can go awry. Can it be used on purpose? It can. There are all sorts of biological weapons out there that can be unleashed as a pestilence. And it it can absolutely pin you up in one place so that you won't be exposed. Let's look at Revelation 18, 2 through 8, because we're going to make a a connection here with Babylon. Babylon is very present in the book of Revelation. It's something that's been around for a long time. And Babylon, remember, is related to confusion. The Tower of Babel, it was a thing that drew all the nations together, but then it confused them all. And so here's what it says. He cried out with a mighty voice saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. For all the nations, see, there's our nations there for Babylon. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality. And the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. It's going to be important here, even if we don't get to it till next week. They have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. Remember, the soul functions on, I think, I feel, I want. It functions on sensuality, appetite, emotion, desire and intellect. Our desires have made the rich of the earth rich. Why do the big online marketplaces, why are those men the most wealthy? Our desire made them wealthy. What about social media? Why are these the most wealthy men on earth? Because we had an appetite for it and we desired it. It was our sensuality. We made them rich with our sensuality. So you can see how in Babylon you are and how important it is to understand how to come out of Babylon even as you are in Babylon. You say, how am I in Babylon? You're in the nations. And within those nations, you are also within the beast systems. 
You are within medical systems. You are within political systems. You are within governmental systems. You are within military systems. You are within educational systems. You are within philosophical systems. You're within athletic systems. <laughs> Not everybody, but a lot of us, right? Go hogs. Um, how within it are you? Do you know how to come out of that economic system? Because it's human desire that has made the rich of the earth wealthy. Now, we may not always like that. We might resent them for being wealthy, but we have to admit what Revelation is saying right here is true. It's the sensuality of the earth that have made the rich rich. It doesn't mean it's right. It just means that's the way that it is. And so it's these things of our sensuality, what we have to guard against. How can we be in Babylon, but not be of it? How can we come out of this sin of Babylon? How can we separate ourselves from a dwelling place of demons and of unclean spirits, a prison of unclean spirits, a prison of every unclean and hateful bird? Can we look around and see unclean and hateful things? Sure, we see Paul's sheet. But are we? Or are we a clean animal? By comparison, we're not animals. But in the comparison, has Babylon become our dwelling place? Are we happy with our sensuality? Have we been seduced into the, the acts of immorality that go with it? Our sensuality creates our own prison. Our thoughts create our own prison. Our appetites create our own prison. That's the way the soul works. The soul creates its own prison. So what is our advice? I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people. Why? Because remember, the pestilence falls typically on animals, the animal soul. How can we be human beings mixed up in a big bag with wild and unclean beasts? and demons, and unclean spirits. He says, come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive of her plagues. The plagues are for sins. Her plagues are for sins. Now, might you be around for some of these plagues? You could. These are your tests. They're not to destroy you. These are your tests. And so he says, come out of her, my people so that you will not participate in her sins and receive of her plagues. For her sins have piled up as high as heaven. How high was the Tower of Babel? Remember, their goal was to get as high as heaven. And it's not that high, by the way. They didn't have to build the tower that high for what they were doing. In fact, you, you wouldn't even know higher than the height a dove would fly. That's all the height it had to have in order to penetrate for their goals, to penetrate into heaven. And it says, and God has remembered her iniquities. What have they done? They have replaced their commandments. They have replaced God's commandments with their own. That was the goal. They want to experience the Garden of Eden without the commandments of the Garden of Eden. They want to pollute the Garden of Eden with their sins. And what has happened? She's just, she's building her tower with her sins. And they have piled up as high as heaven. But what's going to happen, remember, in the wilderness, when we forget, that's when we get plagues. But you know what? It says God has remembered her iniquities. He remembers. 
He's not going to forget. And he's never going to let her penetrate into heaven. She can go as high as heaven. That cup of iniquity can get that full, but it will never overflow into heaven. It will never overflow into the pure places. It will never overflow into the Garden of Eden. He won't let it. It says God has remembered her iniquities. That means he's about to visit them on her. Pay her back, even as she is paid, and give back to her double according to her deeds. And the cup which she has mixed, mix twice as much for her, to the degree that she glorified herself and lived sensuously. I think I feel I want. To the same degree, give her torment and mourning. There's our tzira, there's our hill bug. There to, to uh, torment you, cut off the root and fruit, and take you to place of mourning. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen, and I am not a widow, and will never see mourning. For this reason, in one day, her plagues will come, pestilence and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For the Lord God who judges her is strong. Now that's that's serious, but there's a lot of context right here. Come out of her, my people. How do you come out of Babylon? Yet you're living out here among the nations who are piling up their sins as high as heaven. Don't sin. Just don't sin. Remember his commandments in the wilderness. Don't sin. And he will make a distinction. And here's what she's doing. Remember, in one day, the plagues will come. Pestilence. With pestilence comes mourning because there's death. And then there comes famine. Why is there a famine? Well, you're destroying the economy, basically, when you do that. Uh, you're, You're not only killing people and animals with disease, these things are part of the economic system. And so Adonai is using this tactic to separate his own from the unclean, just the same way he removed Israel from Egypt. So we're told in Revelation 2.10, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Remember the the wild beast philosophy, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die? Well, right here we are told, you be faithful until death. You believe in a resurrection. You believe there will be life. Once you cross over, once the physical body dies, you know there's still life. And then after that, you know there's a resurrection of the body. And he says, you be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. There will be a resurrection for you. But don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Remember, fear is for the people who are stung by the hellbugs. Anxiety is for people stung by the hellbugs. You belong to the Father. There is no reason for you to be tormented by a bug that is here to plague the wicked. For those who refuse to join the ranks of those who are clean. And when we say clean, we don't mean physically clean. We mean 
ritually fit to enter the temple, to enter the house of Adonai. You don't go into his house just any old way. You don't say, I'm saved, therefore I can do anything I want to do. I can wallow around in any kind of pigsty I want to of sin. You don't go into his house like that. No, no, you don't. Oh, no, you better don't. But if you're doing your best to learn the difference between clean and unclean, to learn the difference between what is fit to enter his presence and what is unfit to be in his presence. He says, don't fear what you're about to suffer. There will be some, but you're going to have a different experience. The devil is about to cast some of you into prison. Did we get locked down with everybody else? We did. And that's what happens with an epidemic. That's what happens with the pestilence. It might imprison an entire population for a time. And when we come out of that, we find out who will continue to seek Adonai, who just turned to him temporarily because their, their opportunities for sensuality were cut off, and who simply became more unclean, more lawless, more beastly while they were imprisoned. And I think we see all of that. We can look back even at YouTube. If, if you look at the, the Bible studies and, and how it was off the charts, how many people were watching Bible studies during COVID. But then when they went back to work, it started to fall off. His word meant less and less. Why? Because the, the systems sucked them right back in. The organizations sucked them right back in. And maybe at some point they'll realize this is the way the leopard works. At first it entices, then it intimidates and coerces. And in the end, it kills you. You can't afford to forget Adonai in the wilderness because he won't forget you. He remembers when you serve him. And he remembers when you go out the front door with this mentality of eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Let me just indulge every sensuality here. See, the imprisonment was not a bad thing. There, you know how many people came to Adonai during COVID? Because finally it kind of cut some things off. It cut off some distractions where they could be alone with him and they could draw near to him. That, that period of imprisonment, they actually brought forth some life and they're going to receive the crown of life. Because they sought him. They saw it as a, wow, there's a reason for this. Others, they just came out the other end worse than they went in. Worse than they went in. They're more vicious. They're more short-tempered. They're more addicted. They're more drugged. They're more full of alcohol. They're more full of rage. They're more sexually immoral. They're all of that. I don't know if they'll leave this on YouTube. I doubt it. If they do, we'll upload it somewhere else and let you know on the newsletter where we did that. But it's time to be playing. Because like I said, in this mixed bag of animals, some of them aren't. Some of them are righteous from among the nations, and we need to give them a hand out. But we can't help them out if we're not teaching the truth. And his word is truth. So imprisonment, that's a type of, of pestilence. When we imprison ourselves, and that's what Babylon does. It imprisons the unbridled soul in its own desire. So it's a, it's a place, it's a plague where emotions and thoughts can hold us captive. 
it can freeze us in helplessness. When we become too anxious, we get frozen because we feel helpless. We don't know what to do. But remember, it is written. It is written. It is written. For the rebellious, for those who don't see these, uh, you know, I, I call it depression. But there's definitely, we go through periods of introspection that might be, maybe we think it's depression, but it's there for a reason. He lets us go through those tough prisons of evaluation. Self-evaluation is good. <laughs> we should be evaluating ourselves because we might find in that that he let us go into that dark place because there's one specific thing he wants us to do for him. And if we will do that one specific thing for him, it might be the very key that opens the gate to our prison. For the rebellion, that plague of dark emotions hangs around. And when when we when we deal with depression, it's not easy because it involves both the soul and the body. Remember, soul, appetite, emotion, desire, and intellect. And the soul, this animal-like part of us, it, it says, you know, you knew me in my mother's womb when you formed me in the lower parts of the earth. Even as your body was being knit together, so was your soul being knit into it. And so your soul and your body are in cahoots, if you want to use that old expression. They are in cahoots, <laughs> and they're not always working for you. The soul is a good thing. This animal-like thing inside of us, it keeps us alive, and that's why it's in there. It allows us to experience things like joy and pleasure when they are godly joys and pleasures. And so because your body is so knit together with the soul, it can be very difficult to break out of a depression. And, and again, you have to keep seeking, Father, what do you want from me here? What, what do you want from me here? And sometimes it'll seem like you can't find the answer anywhere. You don't quit asking, Father, what is the one thing you need me to do right now? Father, what is the one thing you need me to do right now? And when he shows you what that one thing is, do it. It might be as simple as lifting a little finger. Remember, you should say, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be? Sometimes he's asking, do you want to be healed? Okay, I'm going to turn the lights out on you so you'll listen to me, so you can hear my voice. But the lights may have to be out for a while until we settle down and we're willing to receive what he has to tell us in that darkness and in that prison. And our soul and our body are kind of going to be screaming at us. Get us out of here. Get us out of here. This doesn't feel good. Give me something to numb this feeling. Or because he kind of suspends the, the sensuality of the soul, sometimes we just kind of get numb. And that's when it might say, give me something to make me feel something. I don't like this numbness. We could go in one or two directions. That's, you know, mine with drugs is people are either trying to numb themselves or hype themselves up to the max in sensuality. So whichever way it goes, remember the answer is, is not in self-medication. The answer is in saying, Father, what is it you're trying to do in me to prepare me? I know you want me to cross over with ever-increasing faith ever-increasing perfection in your word. What is it you're trying to perfect in me? Please show me what it is, and then please give me the faith to do what you're asking. And typically, he doesn't ask you to go move a mountain. Typically, what he'll ask you to do is something probably very simple, something very easy. 
except it's not easy because it's something you've been avoiding doing for a long time. But if you'll do it, if it's whatever it is, it'll it'll open that floodgate of freedom and you'll be able to walk out of there. And think of Peter sitting in the jail cell during the days of unleavened bread. James had just had his head cut off and Peter didn't have any reasonable expectation he was going to walk out of that jail cell. And what happens in the middle of the night? Angel hits him. (laughs) Don't wait for the angel to hit you. But if the angel hits you, definitely wake up and go. All right. Hopefully he'll just kind of shake you a little bit. Say, you sleeping beauty. (laughs) The father needs you to get up, put your clothes on. Let's go. And it might be something that simple. Get up, get your clothes on, walk out the front door and say, father, where next? Where are you sending me? Whatever it is, listen, because the spirit in you is clean. It's pure. But often it's it's outmuscled by your soul and your body because they're so used to getting their own way. So don't let Babylon imprison you with sensuality. Don't let it imprison you with your own desires, your own emotions, and your own thoughts because it will end up freezing you right where you are. He can lead you out of that prison. It's a stage of testing for the righteous. And, and it says that you're going to be thrown in prison for 10 days. 10 is a specific number. It has a specific meaning. Number one, it's the, the number of a congregation. It's the minimum number of a congregation, which is called a, a minion. And so in Jewish prayer, you need a minion to have congregational prayer. 10 people a minimum. But during these times of testing, when you feel like you're in the darkness in the prison, Prayer will sustain you, especially when there is a plague and a pestilence of fear, which we know will happen. We know that that's the job of the hell bugs, to make people anxious. And so we have to detach ourselves from Babylon and say, you know what? The same things that make Babylon afraid, not the same things that make me afraid. We are not to fear, but we're to pray. And if we feel like it's too strong, like I said, your soul and your body are teaming up on you. You ask other believers to pray with you. You have them lift you up. And then you start eating that word. You know, if if you feel like you're in the prison for 10 days, the word is what you need to sustain you. That's the best prison food there is. But don't be one of those that just refuses to suffer through this decision-making stage. Avoid the temptation. Now, if you need medication, I'm not telling you not to take medication. If, if Sometimes we, we do have physical problems that require medication. I'm talking about improper medication. Don't try to medicate yourself out of that decision improperly. Don't turn to your electronic devices, media, to distract yourself when you should be in prayer. You might be one of those, you, you, you instead of, of kind of, medicating yourself down. You like stimulation. Quit partying. You know the parties you shouldn't be going to. You know the gatherings you should not be going to. Don't go. Don't overwork so you don't have to think about it. All of these things distract you from what he's asking you to meditate upon until you hear his voice. 40 days in the wilderness for Yeshua. 40 years for the Israelites. I hope you don't have to stay there for 40 years. I was just 10 days. There's all sorts of other methods that, that we use to mute the mourning that he takes us through. Not as really a plague, but as a test. Will you listen to me? And when you go through those 
10-day periods of mourning where he's trying to get your attention. What are you mourning? Your soul, part of your soul just died because part of your self-will just died. But some people don't want to go through that mourning. They don't want to sacrifice their will to the Father because that's widowhood. Mourning is for widows. It's for people who have lost someone. You're going to feel like you lost part of you. The great thing is that person needed to get lost. That part of you needed to get lost. And so when we have no desire to change the things or the thing that this plague is highlighting in our life, we're saying, I'm going to be the queen. Good to be the queen because I don't have to change because I don't have to suffer through the pain of change. When people break addictions, it hurts. There's pain. When people make good changes, there's pain. It hurts. And some simply say, I will be the queen working. I will not suffer. I will not be a widow. I will not mourn. I refuse to give this thing, this unclean thing to the father. And it will be difficult. We'll want to distract ourselves with spectacular things which feed our sensuality, or we'll try to check out with numbing our feelings. You know what? And there's even aspects of religion that can feed into this. Religion can fall prey to this because often you might go to a religious gathering thinking, this is where I'll find peace. And you'll realize they're just trying to cheerlead you to good feelings but without the spiritual transformation. You'll walk around thinking, oh, that was great praise and worship. Oh, the preacher really made me feel good in that 15-minute sermon. He made you feel. It made you feel. But what was the truth? Did anybody ever tell you you're going to have periods of suffering and mourning and grieving the parts of you that the Father is trying to trim away and prune away? Or they might try to numb you. They might try to, you know, you might have real questions about your spiritual transformation, and they'll just mute it. They just shut it down. They just stay on the script. When sometimes you're going to have to go off your script, you're going to have to figure out what is the change you desire in me. And it might be you need to fast. You definitely need to pray. It might mean that you need lots of prayer partners. It might mean that you need to do things for other people, that you need to minister to the orphans and the widows while you go through your your orphan widow period. Whatever it takes, that's what we need to be willing to do because the merchants of the earth will never stop enticing you until Babylon the Great falls. And that's what's happened. The merchants of the earth have grown rich from our sensuality. And the merchants can Mm -hmm. offer us products that either accentuate our feelings or numb our feelings, whatever we need in the moment, they will have something to do that job. Doesn't have to be a drug. Doesn't have to be alcohol. Some people are addicted to shopping. Some people are addicted to sports. Some people are addicted to gambling. Some people are addicted to trolling. (laughs) We all have ways of dealing with it. And so, yeah, the pestilence is not a fun plague. But as believers, we need to know the difference. And as we go through these very short, 10 days is not a long time. It's basically a a good prayer push. You know, commit yourself to 10 days of prayer, extra prayer. I, I know you all pray each day. Maybe commit yourself to extra prayer. Maybe find a group of people 
where you can pray with one another. Find a prayer minion. Find 10 people who would like to pray through a 10-day period. And not just pray for themselves for spiritual transformation, but pray for the people you know. Pray for those in authority. Pray for those in those organizations who are really naive as to what's going on. Remember, there's clean things mixed in with the wild things. We can pray that the clean things be sorted out, that they come out because the sins are piling up to heaven, but they will never penetrate into heaven. We don't want to be in the pile. So I want to introduce some spiritual underpinning as we move into the next plague. And this is part four. So if someone were to jump in at at this point, what we would want you to do is maybe go back to part one and get that good foundation and uh, just work through from one and then catch up to where we are now, especially as it concerns the, the parallels between the siege tactics of kings that are said to correspond to the 10 plagues of the Exodus And then what we're trying to do now, and that's why I would like for you to have a a good foundation before you pick up with this, is because then we slide all the way to the end of the book. We slide over to the book of Revelation and look at the, the prophecies of Revelation. Then we compare them to the original prophecies in the Torah. And at that point, hopefully what we can do is add some application in our generation. And like we've said before, Every generation is going to have tribulation. Every tri- you know, every generation is going to have an antichrist. Every generation is going to have false prophets. Every generation is going to have some iteration of these prophecies. The important thing is that every generation treat it with so much reverence and seriousness as if they could be the last generation before the resurrection. And that's what we want to do. We want to approach these prophecies uh with proper reverence. And the proper reverence means that I'm going to read them in the sense that if I were the last generation, I have to look at the prophecies. I have to understand just the basic elements of these prophecies because in each generation, they'll they'll crop back up a little bit different because it suits the generation. You know, does it, like Tim said this morning, the Torah doesn't talk about computers, right? But it does give us information in terms of ethics and morality and so forth, that we can carry over and say, in our generation, we have something called computers, and we can take take the same ethics of the Torah and apply them to computers. So that's what we want to do with these siege tactics of the kings, which we see repeated in the book of Revelation. So we don't want to just point them out and say, oh, there they are. That's great. But we want to examine our generation and say, what's going on in our generation that we can relate to. We can relate to this plague. We can relate to this siege tactic and and see it going on right under our very noses. And so that helps us, I think, not to be in despair in our generation. I know every generation feels like theirs has descended to the absolute worst level. And just when you think we can't sink anymore, we sink even farther. And I think what we have is the encouragement because we're kind of looking at this this part of our study is the footsteps of Messiah. As the world hears, you know, tribulation, as they hear bad news, is in fact, it's nothing but bad news. What do we hear? We hear the footsteps of Messiah. And part of listening for the footsteps of Messiah, of course, is going back to the, the Exodus, 
the foundational understanding of how we come out of our age to understand the greater exodus that is described. Remember, the greater exodus is described as an exodus that's going to be so awesome because he's not just going to take his people out of another nation. He's going to take his people out of all the nations, tribes and tongues. And in that sense, it'll be greater. And if we understand that we could be part of that greater exodus, then we can. We can look around in our generation and say, okay, yeah, that's some bad news. Uh, yes, that is a depth of immorality I didn't think I would ever see in my lifetime. And clearly here it is right there. We take courage because, again, that's what we hear. We hear the footsteps of Messiah. And if if we were to be find ourselves in that last siege, if what's going on today is part of the, the ramping up of the siege that leads to the greater exodus, then we want to have our, our spiritual eyes and ears open not so much tuned to what's going on around us, but tuned into his word, which will explain what's going on around us. So we can just take courage. We can take heart. We don't have to be discouraged. With that said, at our sixth plague, we've made it through five plagues. Just to review, that fourth one was a doozy, wasn't it? All right. So we had the, the plague on the springs of waters, sources of fresh water. That was plague number one. And then we have the plague of frogs, which is plague number two. And that included the plague of, of liars. And then we have the next plague, which is interpreted as, as either lice or gnats, which, of course, those are the, the range to light missiles that get under your skin and cause fear and anxiety. And then the wild beasts, and that's like I said, you'll notice that some of these other plagues are wild beasts. Even if you look at a pestilence, if you look at a disease, there's they're caused by these little creatures. Uh, I don't, you don't necessarily know a scientific definition of bacteria and stuff like that, but we know that if you look at, at these diseases under a microscope, then there's little critters, there's little wild beasts in there that are fueling that particular disease or pestilence. And we looked at the the correlation there, of course, to the wild beast humans. And then we went through the pestilence, the taking of captives. And that's where we left off last week. We left off with the pestilence, which is uh, restricting the movement. Sometimes taking captives can be merely a temporary thing. A captive might be snatched up and temporary, temporarily held in custody and then turned loose. And there might be a period of testing in there. Like the the assemblies of Revelation were warned. You, you know, you might you're going to be held in prison for 10 days. You're going to be tested, but don't worry about what you're about to suffer. It's all it's all going to be okay. It's a temporary thing. We also looked at perhaps an entire city could be sealed off and and form its own prison. I think there's an element of that here, but I think we'll see that more in the plague number nine, which is the plague of darkness. And and what you'll notice is in each of these plagues, what builds, no matter what the tactic is, the tactic can be anything. It can be the frogs. It can be the, the loss of the fresh water. It could be the pestilence. What ramps up is the level of anxiety and fear. What ramps up is the level of anxiety and fear. 
And so no matter what the plague is, remember, it stems back to this bug out of Abaddon. We might say hell, Sheol, whatever you want to use. Um, the tzila, tzila. And you can hear the word for tribulation, um, tsar, in the this supernatural bug, this hell bug called the sila. And remember, he has two main functions. He uh, shoots venom and he confuses you. He blinds you. And the confusion and the blindness leads to a high degree of anxiety and torment. Part of what that venom does is it torments you. It's At first, it's not to kill you. It's simply to make you all confused and anxious because when we're confused, we're anxious. And the second step that the bug uses, of course, is he cuts off the root and the fruit. He cuts off the link to the next generation. And so while the righteous are supposed to be bearing good fruit, the fruit of the spirit that will go from generation to generation, it will extend. That's why the, the covenant was extended to a thousand generations to show that there's, there's no gaps between the generations of the righteous. But what happens with the wicked is that bug out of Abaddon, his second step is to cut off the root and the fruit. It cuts off the generations from one another and it cuts off the ability to bear good fruit. And ultimately, at that, after this, that step is completed, it could result in death, right? So we, we, we've done lessons on the hell bug before, so we're not going to go back over that. But that's just a reminder, as we're working through the, the plagues, if it looks like there's some element of those two things in each plague, it's not an accident. Remember, they're, they're being held there in Abaddon. And, and we read that last week about, you know, how as they come up, they have a supernatural appearance that you can't define as just looking like a serpent, just looking like a scorpion, just looking like a horse, just looking like a human being, just looking like a locust, because it's not really of this world. It's not going to have the appearance that will exactly fit any number of wild creatures that John could have described, but it's some sort of composite looking supernatural bug, but it, it operates on those two principles. And so, yes, in each of these plagues, what we should see is the level of confusion and anxiety increasing 10 times. It'll increase 10 times. And so if we look around at our generation, can we see in our generation that the the level of confusion and anxiety is probably ramped up to the max that any generation has ever known it? Possibly so. I've not lived in another generation, so I don't really have a point of comparison other than to read a history book or maybe, you know, for the biblical period to read the Bible. There does appear to be a lot of confusion and darkness, but, you know, like it was said to Daniel, I mean, You've done things that even your fathers didn't know. You've served gods even your fathers didn't know. So even like the worst generations of the past is telling us that it never crossed their minds to normalize some of the behavior that these last you know generations would indulge in. It, it was like bad. And you know, you think like when Yeshua said, as it was in the days of Sodom, we shouldn't be surprised that. Uh, when when he said, um, if the word had been preached to Sodom and Gomorrah that you have heard, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. 
So as bad as that generation sounds, he's saying there's a worst, there's worse generations coming behind them in terms of the level of their immorality and what sort of wickedness they're willing to normalize. And so in our generation, I think there is more wickedness today that is just normalized. People, not only do they not bat an eye at the, the wickedness, they will literally try to attack you. They are in such a state of darkness and confusion. They will attack anybody who speaks the truth that contradicts how they've twisted it. And so with the Sodomites, yeah, if you wandered into the city of Sodom, you probably wouldn't come out. It was definitely a, a trap, a visitor trap, which Lot tried to tell to the angels. But today, when we look at the degree of wickedness, it's not just a matter of entrapping people that wander in. It's a matter of their going out and hunting. It, it doesn't matter what you say. In fact, you know, I think people are beginning to, to finally understand about social media that it's a huge pit. It's a huge trap. Have many people been made wealthy through social media by having a viral something or other? Well, the virus might be the, the tip off there. But we have a lot of success stories in terms of could people be made rich with a viral video or, or something? Sure, they could. Could they become a quote unquote influencer? Sure, they could. They could have their moment in the sun. But it's also a huge trap. You know, how many of us have put something on social media that it was absolutely harmless and we've been attacked by total strangers? We didn't even know. Like, who are these people? Where did they come from? And it's like, yeah, there is, it's, they're, they're worse than hell bugs because at least the bugs coming up out of hell have a mission to torment the wicked. These people are the wild beasts who their point is just to torment the righteous or anybody. They don't have to be righteous. Uh, they turn on each other habitually. So uh, that shouldn't come as a surprise. So yeah, in our generation, we have to look for these, these trap, these pit situations to the point where, yeah, the wild beasts are, are definitely hunting in a place that you realize doesn't even exist. That's the weird thing about it. Computers, they're, they're just zeros and ones. Your zeros and ones. Once the power goes out, once the battery gives out, it doesn't even exist. It does not even exist. But how many people have, you know, committed suicide based on something being attacked online, especially young children, you know, as that are they're vulnerable to that. And parents as a generation, I don't know that they saw that coming because it wasn't really a reality of their childhood. And so they're having to learn in process. Even grown-ups, how many are wounded and offended by total strangers who don't know them, don't know their motivations. They just like trolling. So uh, what's the solution to that? Again, know our times. And again, moderation. You know, anytime you can exercise locks and doors and boundaries around who can access you and find out personal information about you, that's the thing to do. And that's what we're told. Don't fear what you're about to suffer. The devil's about to cast some of you into prison. You will be tested. You will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Right? So you're going to emerge more righteous, whereas the wicked in that same test, they will emerge as the true, wicked, lawless, the tares. Thank you for exploring the Torah portion with us. 
For more information on this ministry, go to thecreationgospel.com. You can find links there for our newsletter, books, workbooks, Facebook, and our YouTube channel.